Welcome to WKJP News Radio, the podcast that talks about the 90s sitcom News Radio one episode at a time. I am your host, Jordan, and here with me, as always, is Kayleen. Kayleen? Where? Oh, oh, that's right. It's just me. Kayleen and the kids are out of town, so it's just going to be me on this episode. The plan for this episode is for me to watch all seven episodes of season one with the commentary tracks. Watching the commentary tracks has been something I've wanted to include into our podcast for quite a while, just due to the amount of background information that they give, maybe a little bit of extra insight into the episodes. Kayleen and the kids are out of town, which means it's just me puttering around the house trying not to go crazy. And who knows, uh, I have no idea if this will help or hurt. Maybe this will be counterproductive in the uh, goal of not going crazy. But so tonight I am going to watch each commentary track, take some notes, and then record a little bit about it. Watching the commentary tracks is something that I've wanted to do for the podcast for a while, but simply haven't due to uh, time and energy constraints. So here we go, I'm going to do this. Honestly, it's either this or do my taxes, and I don't want to do that. This episode, I'm going to say, is really for the diehard news radio fans. If you're listening to this podcast for almost any other reason than the fact that you love news radio, maybe this isn't the one for you. So I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I bought the news radio DVDs, I think, as they came out. Like, literally, they did not release them all at once. They released seasons one and two in a... DVD set, and I bought that. And then later I found season three, and I bought that. Later I found season four, and I bought that. I never bought season five. Um, I rented it from Netflix back when they would actually send me physical DVDs. And so I don't know season five quite as well. I've seen it several times since, but uh, that's the one I know the least well. But that was the first release of DVDs. Apparently the Mill Creek boxed set, the one I've been working with lately, does not have the commentaries on it, but these very old, at this point, I guess they're like almost 20-year-old DVDs. Oh my god. 15, 20-year-old DVDs, they do have the commentaries on them. So that's what I've been watching, and that's what I'm drawing from here. So I lent this DVD with the commentary to uh, Uncle Keith, (laughs) our sound engineer, and his girlfriend Krista. They had been watching it. I just got it back from him, so I'm about to pop it in. So, I am going to go get started watching Season 1, Episode 1, Pilot. All right, pausing. I will come back. Okay, it's happening. I'm eating Oreos and drinking oat milk like a weird, sad bachelor, and I'm watching the commentary. So, first episode down... This is the pilot. It's got Paul Sims, who's the executive producer slash creator. It's got Dave Foley and Stephen Root, who need no introduction. And it's got Ken Zbornak. They call him the first AD, and then he's eventually one of the producers. So this was kind of interesting. They did talk a lot about the casting of the show. They kind of talked about how each character got filled by the actor who eventually played them. Uh, So it was interesting to note that Paul Sims wrote the parts of Dave, Matthew, and Bill with Dave Foley, Andy Dick, and Phil Hartman in mind, and then the rest of them were cast. They talked quite a bit about how Stephen Root totally brought a different energy to the character of Jimmy James than anybody else. This is something I'd heard. I don't remember if I had heard it with the uh, commentary or read it someplace else. Honestly, I can't imagine that character as played by anybody else except Stephen Root, and I can't imagine him being anybody else except the Jimmy James that we know and love. Another thing they mentioned was that Mara Tierney was the last person cast, and that both Paul and Dave just knew right away that they really liked her, they wanted her for the part. Apparently, Kurt Fuller was really annoyed that he didn't get cast on this show as a regular, (laughs) so uh, I think he's perfect for what he does as the uh, boss they have to get rid of. I can imagine him working someplace else, and then he shows up in season three, and then he causes trouble for them, or maybe he comes crawling back and asks for an internship or something. I don't know, that would be kind of funny. They talked a fair bit about Ray Romano. They just came out and uh, 
confirmed the rumors that it was Ray Romano who was originally cast as the uh, handyman of the staff. Apparently, he got fired about halfway through the pilot. Um, Stephen Root, in particular, said that uh, you know the rhythms were just totally wrong, and you know that makes sense, right? Ray Romano is very slow and uh, kind of a little bit monotone. It makes sense that uh, it just doesn't fit with the fast-paced rhythms of this show. So instead, they have a guy named Rick, <laughs> and most of them kind of recognize him as the guy from. Uh, at first, they think it's Blues Clues, but then they say, "Oh no, he's from." Uh, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? I thought this was kind of interesting. Uh, according to Dave Foley, Lisa's character was originally written as, quote, sluttier. Apparently she was kind of immediately flirting with Dave, uh, Dave the character, and the other commentariat. <laughs> the other commentators give him a little bit of a hard time like that. Oh no, that's just in your imagination. One person they reference a lot in this commentary is James Burroughs. They keep calling him Jimmy B., which, <laughs> if you don't catch right away that that's what they're talking about, it's hard to know. But uh, according to Jimmy B, <laughs> this was one of the fastest pilot shoots he's ever done. Apparently they had the entire pilot episode in the can after filming it in front of the studio audience in less than two and a half hours. One thing that I thought was really sweet was that uh, Stephen Root and Maura Tierney are kind of fake talking to each other in the office when Dave comes up at the very beginning of the episode, and apparently they're saying to each other how nervous they are. I just thought that was really sweet. Uh, apparently they were just both super nervous about doing well on the pilot. Both Dave and Stephen said they felt like an ensemble immediately, that they just kind of all clicked together pretty much immediately. One thing that Kayleen pointed out, she just... She has pointed this out several times, is that uh, Dave in the pilot episode is kind of going back and forth all over the place, um, and apparently that was intentional. Uh, Jimmy B wanted Dave to be like a pinball in a machine, so um, the whole episode, I didn't really notice this, is not quite real time, but it's almost. There are a couple of little time jumps, but it's almost a real time back and forth with him just constantly moving. It was also kind of funny that Stephen Root apparently loves the bit where he puts his head through the stringless tennis racket. You know, he comes in and says that uh, he bought a chain of sporting goods stores, and then he puts his head through the racket. He said <laughs> something like, if that was the only thing they asked me to do on this show, I would love it. So, <laughs> It was also interesting to know that uh, Dave Foley had not seen the pilot since it aired, and so several times they kind of lapsed into almost just like watching the show rather than talking about it. So a little bit of background. Uh, apparently the pilot was shot just after Thanksgiving, they found out around Christmas time that it was going to be picked up, and then the next episode was shot about three months later. So near the end of the episode, Dave kind of lays down the law. He shows Bill and the others that he's not going to be pushed around or manipulated. Um, apparently this was a network note um, that he needed to exert his authority. He needed to show that he was the boss by the end of the episode. And uh, in Jimmy B's words, this is, you got to have a victory for the kid. The tag after the credits was reshot. And that really is where most of the groundwork for a relationship between Dave and Lisa is laid down. Really, there's not that much to it in the rest of the pilot, and that's something I had never noticed. But by the time they had gone a few episodes in, they knew there was going to be that sort of relationship between the two of them. And so they wanted to have something at the end of the episode that kind of indicated that there was more of that to come. Also, Dave Foley was the one who came up with the bit about the eyelash, where he picks an eyelash off of Lisa. So, and the commentary ends with several of them all saying, oh, that was a good one. And I just thought that was really sweet that they, uh, they enjoyed watching the episode. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to rate the commentaries. Um, basically the idea here is to give you a sense of how worth it it would be to watch the commentary track on the DVD. Since this is the first one, I'm not really sure how to calibrate the scale exactly. Um, so I'm going to do one to five like we normally do. Five being, this is definitely a commentary you should watch if you like this show. One is like, you can totally skip this. This is, <laughs> it's not worth it at all. So on a scale from one to five Ray Romanos, I'm going to give this one a 3.5. It's fun to hear about how the different cast members got cast in their roles um, it is fun to hear Dave and Steven especially talk about, you know, their experiences. Yeah, it's fine. 
you know, I thought I was going to be more comfortable just kind of talking <laughs> impromptu off the top of my head uh, all by myself in a room. And it's uh, weird. Yeah, it's um, much harder when you don't have someone else to uh, bounce off of. So, yep, it's just me talking alone in a room. I have no idea what editing this is going to sound like. All right, that's kind of it for the pilot. Apparently there are commentary tracks for six out of the seven episodes in season one. There's not one for the very last episode, the one with Nancy. I think it's called Sweeps Week. So I'm going to do all six. I'm going to do all six of them straight tonight. Here we go. Next one up is season one, episode two, entitled Inappropriate. Here we go. All right, I just watched the commentary from season one, episode two, Inappropriate. <laughs> we got a couple of Valentine's balloons this year um, because we have small kids and they're, you know, impressed by balloons. And they still have helium in them. I don't know how this is possible. It's the end of March. <laughs> but we still have one that has just enough helium in it that it's kind of like lazily bouncing around the house you know it's not high <laughs> in the air and it's not completely flat on the ground but it's just kind of like caught in the drafts in the house just kind of like wafting around and uh, it's doing that in this room right now while i'm trying to record it's weird okay so i watched the second commentary this one had uh paul sims it had Maura Tierney, who needs no introduction. It also had co-producers Joe Fury and Josh Lieb. And I got to tell you, I could not tell the difference between the voices of Paul Sims, Joe Fury, and Josh Lieb. Uh, I, maybe they look really different, but they have really similar voices. So I'm just going to say the stuff that they said, and I cannot attribute it to any of them. I could tell Maura Tierney apart from the other three, though. I'm pretty good at that. So apparently this episode was shot third. It was the first one that aired after the pilot. They're all kind of confused about why Matthew is on the air in the first scene. Uh, but then they remembered that, oh yeah, uh, early on we thought that like everyone was going to be on the air sometimes, except for, you know, Dave and maybe Beth. But eventually they just stopped <laughs> having Matthew do much of anything. One thing that was kind of interesting was they talked about how as the show progresses, they strip out a lot of the um, background extras early on, especially like in this episode, there's just a bunch of extras just kind of like milling around. There's also a lot of um, added sounds of like chatter, you know, talking, phones ringing, hustle and bustle, that sort of thing. And eventually that gets quieter and quieter too. So near the end of the series, uh, it's much quieter and there's basically no one except the main cast. One thing that made me a little happy is basically Mara shushed everybody to hear the joke where she says, haven't I been clear on that? I liked that because uh, that was one that I called out early on in our podcast and uh, Kayleen kind of rolled her eyes and was like, what? you know, what's possibly funny about that? Nah, okay, Mara Tierney herself likes it. They did confirm my assertion early on that uh, the network and James Burroughs, Jimmy B., really pushed for the kind of like sexual tension between Dave and Lisa early on. And uh, it seems like Paul Sims really thought it was funnier to just get them together immediately and then have to deal with the consequences. Um, they also admit, oh, if Kayleen listens to this, and she probably won't because honestly, can you blame her? Um, there's way too much of the Dave and Lisa relationship in the first few seasons. They all can sort of recognize that uh, once they started it, they kind of had to sort of deal with it in every episode and that... In the first season or two, there's just way too much talk about it. And uh, now I'm sort of like, okay, well, credit where it's due to Kayleen for um, kind of her annoyance with that constantly going on. They also admit that they fall back too much on, like, uh, jokes about Dave and Lisa having sex in Dave's office, which, you know, never bothered me, but I know that it irks Kayleen every time. Mara did say that she never thought that the Dave and Lisa stuff was the funniest. She did like the sort of weird idiosyncratic character stuff that definitely they're like weird backgrounds and things like that, which is, I mean, a big part of what I like too. It just gets weirder and weirder as the show goes on and uh, more and more of their, you know, weird backgrounds and his personal histories are revealed. The writers also said that it actually became easier to write too, apparently when, uh, the show became weirder and more cartoonish, and they didn't quite have to stick as close to reality. 
Mora pointed out that she really liked the fact that there were not different camps between the writers and the actors, that they felt like they could talk to each other. She never felt like, oh, I'm not allowed to talk to the writers or the writers won't talk to me. They all hung out with each other. All right. Probably the highlight of this commentary is that they talk about the guy we've been calling Beardy. Um, they refer to him as Animal. So apparently this comes from a an aborted bit that they were going to do. Apparently they were going to have a bit where Beth tells Dave that he has to do uh, performance evaluations. And Beth tells him that he has to do one on Animal. So then Dave refers to that guy as Animal. And the guy says, what did you call me? Uh, so he didn't realize that people had been calling him that nickname behind his back. That was a funny idea. I really liked that. But uh, more especially was like, what's the deal with that guy? Who's he? And the, <laughs> the others are like, oh, yeah, yeah. He was an extra in the first season. He was nice. <laughs> so... They also do point out that like there's a lot of awkwardness with um, the background extras who are non-speaking, standing around the conference table during the like birthday party. It's just sort of like, well, okay, what are they what are they doing there? One thing that's interesting in these early commentaries is they talk a lot about James Burroughs, or as a, <laughs> I'm just gonna keep calling him Jimmy B. So they talked about how much they liked him, um, and then it sounds like. They both liked him, and then they really got to know him and know how to work with him as a director. And it made me realize that, like, oh, yeah, that probably is a really important relationship for the actors to feel like they have a director they know and understand and can work with. And it sounds like they had that with James Burroughs, and then uh, it was kind of difficult for a season or two until they really got Tom Sharonis in as the consistent director for the rest of the series. Both in this episode and in the previous episode, they're pointing out that the thing that is the recording room eventually becomes the break room. Uh, I think they just say that, like, oh, yeah, there's nothing that's going to happen that's interesting in this room. So they have to have they have to make it a room that people have a reason to go into. Uh, I got a nice email from a listener named Billy who pointed out that pillar in the middle of the office. And they actually do talk about it in this commentary. Apparently that pillar <laughs> was often in the way, and so they decided that they were just going to put it on wheels. So it was on wheels for a while, and uh, if you pay close attention, it moves around, and then eventually they just made it disappear entirely. One of the three men, I, like I said, I could not distinguish their voices, um, references the louvered blinds, which are the blinds on the doors of the uh, recording room, soon to be break room, and then also Dave's office, and commented about how like he didn't like them because they would always rattle when people would open those doors. Um, and then they joked about the term louvered blinds pretty much for the rest of the commentary. Uh, one thing I learned is that Maura Tierney had never seen Kids in the Hall before she got hired on the show, so she did not know Dave Foley at all. She knew Phil Hartman, obviously from SNL, and she said she had seen the Ben Stiller show, so she was vaguely aware of Andy, uh, but I don't think she knew the other actors. One thing that really did genuinely make me laugh in the commentary, and I'm not expecting to have the commentary make me laugh very much, but this was good, was they were talking about uh, Mora's ridiculous outfits, especially the like slouchy, almost like long johns looking top with the long, long skirt. And there is a shot where you can see her shoes and she points them out and laughs and calls them orthopedic shoes. That actually did make me laugh out loud because, yeah, they're really, really ugly. They also spend a lot of time talking about the souvenirs that they took at the end of the show. One of them took the coat rack that's right there by the entryway. It was also pointed out that there was possibly going to be more of a Bill slash Catherine relationship arc. And so that bit at the end of the episode where Bill tells them about how he and Catherine had had a romantic relationship was going to be part of that longer term arc, but eventually they just dropped it. It sounds like they had a lot of like ideas early on in the show and then early on in each season and then just sort of not so much like threw them away but just kind of forgot about them and that is the commentary track for season two so it looks like based on the time i'm doing the commentary track in about 10 minutes i'm doing my commentary on the commentary what is this community i'm doing my commentary on the commentary you know about half the time it would take to watch the commentary so i hope it's like a useful synopsis for you um i'm hoping you're enjoying it i am enjoying getting back into the commentary in the deep in the weeds like my friend matthew said all right so how do i rate this one uh i am going to give this one on a scale from one to five louvered blinds 
I am going to give this one a three. This one's good. Honestly, you know, it made me laugh more. I think it was funnier. Um, but yeah, it's, eh, it's skippable. I mean, it's definitely not a must watch. Oh my gosh, I have four more of these tonight. Okay, well, this is what I set myself up for. Here we go. Now I'm going to go watch season one, episode three, which is, oh yeah, this is a good one. This is uh, Smoking. Is this good? Is this interesting? Are we having fun? I'm having fun. I'm happy I'm doing this. There's nothing wrong with this. I wish Kayleen was here. She basically told me flat out that this was not something that interested her, but for the sake of completeness, I sort of feel like I have to include this commentary stuff in the podcast. Okay, here I go. All right, and we're back. Folks, I don't know if I've painted the scene for you appropriately, but uh, you know how in the movie Home Alone, when Kevin wakes up on Christmas Day and his whole family is there, and he's wearing a bathrobe over pajamas? Your beloved host, Jordan, is dressed basically the exact same way. I've already mentioned the uh, the milk and the Oreos. Living my best life here, folks. Watching news radio commentary, making this podcast for you. Kayleen bought me this really nice bathrobe for my birthday, and I really like it. The problem is, uh, I don't know about you, but this has been a rough winter for depression. I don't know. I don't know how it's been worse this winter than it was the previous two, but uh, for some reason, for me, it has been. And uh, it's very easy for a bathrobe to basically become a uniform for depression. (laughs) If, If depression had a uniform, it would be a bathrobe. And... That's what this show is about, right? That's what this podcast is? You want to hear all about my clinical depression? (laughs) Probably not, right? Okay, should we talk about something else? What were you here? What are we doing? This is... Where are we? Um, I think I'm doing a podcast. Is that right? Hello? (laughs) Season 1, Episode 3, On Smoking. It's got Paul Sims. It's got Dave Foley. It's got Steven Root. And it's got Joe Fury. This one was apparently recorded before they recorded the pilot commentary. Uh, they refer to that a little bit later. One thing that I think is really sweet is that Dave Foley is actually drinking coffee <laughs> during the commentary. There's a bit where he actually pours <laughs> coffee for the other uh, commentators. Commentariat. One of the first things they say is that this episode is, quote, for some reason phenomenally popular. Um... Can they not tell the difference in quality between this episode and the other episodes of season one? I mean, this is, to me, far and away the standout, so I do not understand how it's confusing that this is head and shoulders above the other ones. I really wonder how it's going to compare to the next episode, which does have a commentary. I'll be talking about it soon. Dave Foley says that this episode was partially inspired by his actual coffee intake, and apparently Phil Hartman had just quit smoking, so he was a little bit worried about backsliding. Um... One of the things that they say is that Phil Hartman looks like he doesn't even know how to smoke. He's always kind of holding the cigarette weird, or he's like hanging out of his mouth in, I mean, a way that doesn't look wrong to me, but maybe it does to other people. Apparently all of the writing staff smoked, but very few of the uh, actors actually did. I know that when we talked about this episode on the podcast very early on, obviously, uh, we talked about that cute little laptop computer that Dave had. They even point that out there. It's the uh, it's the old Apple with the trackball. And somebody says, this is like a historical document. That's just wild. I mean, this, this commentary had to be recorded in, what, 2005 at the latest? Um, so that's like 10 years. <laughs> How is that a historical document? I mean, 25 years, 26 years, which we're doing right now, that's that's a long time. Like, that definitely looks archaic. It's just interesting that uh, the people doing the commentary thought it looked archaic back then, too. I do like the fact that uh, the people sitting around watching this show are actually commenting on a lot of the same things that Kayleen and I talk about. So, like, the set design, the costuming, things like that. They talk about how uh, blue Dave's suit is. I know that I called that out, too. It looks like it's the color of Cotton Candy Bubble Delicious. Dave Foley also talked about his chair and how his chair, how eventually he got a different chair in his office because this one makes him look even smaller than he actually is. 
I think in every single episode they've talked about the dumb column in the middle of the frame that uh, basically like blocks the view of the stairs up to the uh, recording booth, blocks the view of the booth. Um, there is a really weird shot where you can see that there's like a beam perpendicular to the top of the post, and it's bizarre. It's a really bizarre shot. Dave and Steven both say that when they get interviewed... Uh, and people reference this show, they're often talking about how accurate this is to how radio stations actually work. <laughs> uh, apparently they both hear that a lot, that, oh, that's so accurate to what a radio station is really like. And uh, somebody says, uh, I'm flattered that we actually pulled one over on the Radio Employees of America, because apparently they didn't read no research whatsoever. So this is at least two episodes in a row where people have commented on the fact that everyone was kind of in their characters, they were really kind of embodying the characters uh, right from the get-go. And I think that's actually true. That's kind of amazing that, like, not everybody is exactly who they would become, but Bill McNeil is still Bill McNeil. So Phil Hartman was being Bill McNeil even in this early episode. Another thing they call out is uh, the fact that Lisa comes in to give him aspirin or some sort of pain reliever, and he's also drinking a juice box, and somebody asks, why is a child's juice box a replacement for coffee? I guess it's the sugar. I mean, isn't that... I think of that more as you get sugar cravings if you're quitting alcohol, but uh, maybe the sugar high provides a little bit of an equivalent of, you know, drinking coffee. I thought Dave drank his coffee black, so he's not getting sugar from the coffee. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. Two really interesting things about Mr. James in this episode is the fact that uh, he makes a joke about how the sprinklers uh, installed by his nephew are not actually hooked up to anything, so he doesn't want there to be a fire in the newsroom. And apparently the network really didn't like that because they didn't want him to see quite that irresponsible. And Stephen Root kind of laughs and goes, well, I became way, way, way more irresponsible later on. And then somebody actually makes the comment that uh, when Mr. James goes in and uh, lights up a cigarette and gives it to Bill and then looks very pleased with himself for doing so, that, <laughs> quote, this is possibly the most irresponsible thing ever to appear on television. In fact, it's very easy to read <laughs> the irresponsibility even more strongly here. I think one of them says, the lesson is if you're trying to quit caffeine or quit smoking, just don't do it. It's not worth it. That is almost the uh, lesson of the end of the episode when Dave and Bill both give up and just continue to <laughs> indulge their vices. I also feel a little bit validated because I know that I really liked that smash cut to the ambulance, and either Joe Fury or Paul Sims says, uh, we almost built this entire episode around that hard cut to the ambulance. One last little production note. Apparently they thought it would be really easy to fill the booth with smoke, but either the smoke machine wasn't quite working the way they expected, or it was hard to fully seal the booth, but apparently it was really tough to get that last shot where the booth is full of smoke and Bill is uh, lighting a cigarette inside it. So they had to do that last scene as a pickup on a day they were shooting a different episode. And one of them points out, oh, we're all kind of sleepy in this one. And uh, I think that's actually true if you do watch it and you can tell that, oh, they're not quite all up to the same energy level as they were earlier in the episode. In both of the commentaries so far, Stephen has made reference to the fact that Dave Foley wore green leather shoes. Apparently they were green Doc Martens. I mean, just the idea of him wearing green Doc Martens is kind of funny. Yeah, so that's pretty much it for this commentary. On a scale from 1 to 5 irresponsible television messages, I'm going to give this one a 2.4. Um, yeah, this is one you could skip. Uh, I don't think that there's a lot more to this episode than you would get out of just watching the episode. It's fine. I have had the least to say about this one compared with the other commentaries so far. So, meh. Now I gotta go do number four. I gotta go do uh, The Crisis, which I remember distinctly being the worst episode of season one, and not looking forward to it. Here we go. Wish me luck. Alright, and I'm back. Uh, I just watched the commentary for season one, episode four, The Crisis. Woof. This was boring. <laughs> this includes Paul Sims, 
former president of NBC Warren Littlefield, executive producer Brad Gray, and co-producer Julie Bean, she of uh, the later season two, episode one. Uh, there's a lot of discussion about how they brought news radio to NBC. Um, Littlefield also seems to have, based on... Honestly, I spent a lot of time on various Wikipedia pages while this was going on. Uh, there was not enough content in this commentary to do much for me, so I looked at Warren Littlefield's Wikipedia page. Uh, he seems to have had a hand in the creation and maintenance of a lot of great sitcoms on NBC. Um, one thing he kept talking about was the idea of smart adult comedy and how this really fits into that idea of this being a smart comedy directed at adults. From the Wikipedia article, I learned actually that uh, the character played by Bob Balaban on Seinfeld was based on Warren Littlefield. Interesting. Another reference they make is that uh, they... I think Warren says it's nearly 10 years after the launch of news radio, so that would put these commentaries right around 2004, maybe uh, late 2004. Uh, one thing that he says is there just hasn't been a, you know, a really fundamental, memorable workplace comedy since then. And I'm like, well, what about The Office? And then I realized, oh, wait, that, no, that premieres, The American Office premieres like a year later, so... Uh, yeah, I think that definitely eclipsed this one just in, you know, the public consciousness, if nothing else. I literally have a note <laughs> in my notes that is one line that says, bored. <laughs> There's a lot of talk about filming the pilot. I would say the best part of this commentary was there's some slight tension between <laughs> Paul Sims and Warren Littlefield about how much the show got moved. I mean, I knew this show was moved and put in different days and different time slots a lot, but the ones they really talk about are moving it from Tuesday to Tuesday where it was paired with Frasier to Sunday and then to Wednesday, and that's really where it suffered. But there is a bit of conflict between Paul Sims and Warren Littlefield about those moves, and uh, Warren is pretty insistent that he was not trying to kill the show or anything. It just happened this way they just had a lot of mouths to feed in his words and uh moved a lot of shows around including news radio one interesting fact apparently there was a holding deal for phil hartman uh that he was going to be able to have a primetime show and that's what kept him on snl for his last year Apparently, his friend Dana Carvey advised Phil Hartman that being in an ensemble cast would actually make him happier than being the star of his own vehicle. Apparently, he was offered a show where he would be like the dad and have two kids or something, and ugh, this just seems so much better. Yeah, so Warren Littlefield kind of apologizes to Paul Sims for like jerking the show around into a bunch of different days and time slots. I I know that there's some bad blood there, but um, it definitely feels like it's kind of a little bit jokey and a little bit more friendly than it would have been. Almost nothing heard from Julie Bean. I mean, she basically does not uh, say much at all, and I can't say I blame her just because these old white men <laughs> are talking a lot and talking a lot about TV production, which, you know, I just don't care about. I'm interested in this show as I'm interested in the show as an object of literary or um, dramatic analysis. I'm interested in it as a cultural artifact. I'm not interested in the uh, production side. I'm sure if you live in LA and you know, you're writing your own pilots or trying to get things made or filmed or whatever, that sort of production discussion is interesting to you, and uh, I believe the other news radio podcast talks about that kind of stuff pretty well. I was bored. I did not care. I, I guess I'll say at least at least they wasted the boring commentary on a terrible episode, so <laughs> that they weren't talking about this boring crap when there would have been interesting things happening on screen, but they almost made no reference whatsoever in the commentary to what was happening on screen. Uh, one tidbit, one tidbit, and this is kind of interesting, is that uh, the character of Lisa Miller was originally supposed to be Hispanic, but they just never found the right actor. This did not come across as a slight against Mara Tierney at all. Um, it's just that's how it was written originally. Uh, I'm struggling to say anything about this. This is definitely the shortest of them, and that's fine by me because this is getting late, so uh, I might get weirder <laughs> as the uh, commentary episode goes on. 
Um, okay. What would we do for ratings? On a scale from one to five Bob Balabans, I'm going to give this one a 1.3. You can watch it if you want. I would not advise it. I cannot recommend it. It's fine. Meh. On to the next one. Uh, season one, episode five, which is Big Day. Okay, that's a good one. I'm excited. We'll see. I don't know who's going to be in the commentary. I guess we'll find out. Okay. All right, I'm back. Well, that was a marked improvement. I just listened to the commentary from Season 1, Episode 5, Big Day. It had Paul Sims, Candy Alexander, Dave Foley, and Stephen Root. So we went from a very exec-heavy episode to a very actor-heavy episode, and the difference was palpable. Uh, For one thing, Candy just has a lovely voice. I just like listening to her voice. It's so nice. Um, but yeah, they were just having fun. They were just, there was a lot of really great back and forth in this one. So I'm just going to kind of quote some of the funnier things to you. And I'm honestly just going to drop in some of that commentary because you deserve to hear the people themselves say it. They talked about our pal Jimmy B as being the first mountain. And then Tom Sharona says the second mountain in terms of directors. And then there being a long, dark valley in between. I'm learning about how much... A good director-actor relationship matters for TV. Apparently, the title Big Day was an inside joke among, like, three people, Paul Sims included. They would see a homeless guy in New York who would walk around just saying, Big Day! Big Day! And uh, it made them laugh. Yeah, Dave has some funny lines. He calls the little laptop a steam-driven laptop. Um, They all call... uh, beardy or animal monkey man so (laughs) i do like that they notice how how weird looking that dude is uh i gotta say i relate to my man dave foley he says i love the episodes where i get to kiss maura i i you know he's half joking but man he's sort of half not joking (laughs) at one point he just goes everyone keep quiet i think we might kiss (laughs) uh yeah you could tell that they were having fun uh, watching the episode. They are actually laughing at the jokes. Um, this is the commentary where they spend the most time actually getting distracted by the show that they're watching, uh, which is fine. Like, they don't need to be talking every single second through the whole thing. I learned that the only Emmy that News Radio ever won was for Wardrobe, which is really interesting. I wonder, I'll, I'll have to look more into that um, when that actually happened. They spend a lot of time making fun of the wardrobe, even in this episode. Uh, Making fun of Mr. James Brown's suit, (laughs) Dave's wide ties. (laughs) Dave at one point calls what Beth is wearing a maternity dress. (laughs) It actually almost looks like, I think we, I think Kayleen and I called it a romper. They do tell the story about how they got drunk at the SAG Awards, and it seems like they got a little bit rowdy and they were not invited back. Apparently the B story about people leaving food on Bill's table was drawn directly from Paul's life as a writer. This would happen to him upstairs uh, as people would leave food on his desk. I genuinely laughed when Stephen Root and Dave Foley were describing the essence of their characters, and I'm just going to drop it in here. If, if Jimmy James ever came close to having a catchphrase, I think it might have been, I gotta go. I gotta go, yeah. I, say that. I said that a lot. That and uh, the we're way over budget. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Way over budget. Those yeah. are my two catchphrases. Well, that was a combination of a catchphrase and a sort of lazy writer's yeah. way of <laughs> trying That's to quickly uh, figure out a story to do. But Mr. James, these people work hard for you. <laughs> that, that would be Dave's catchphrase. Dave. Mr. James. <laughs> Mr. James, these people work hard for you. Or, Matthew, what are you doing? Matthew. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Matthew, what are you doing? Yeah. And then Actually, it, my, my, all my, most of my dialogue could be summed up with, Matthew. <laughs> Joe. <laughs> Matthew. And my whole character was Dave. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. When it comes to the shaft scene, which I think of as, like, the quintessential scene from this episode, um... Paulson goes, oh, I think a lot of people like the scene. And it's just funny to me as a fan to see the discrepancy between what I think of as like, yeah, that's like the funniest scene in the whole episode. Um, And 
he seems almost like surprised, like, oh, really? That's the one that made people laugh? Okay. I also learned that Stephen Root was kind of from all over the Midwest, but he ended up going to college in Florida, and it seems like he kind of uses that as the basis for... Mr. James really sort of generic Southern accent. You know, you can never quite pin down where Mr. James is from. And even they argue about, wait, do we ever actually settle on where he's from? But, um, he does sound like almost like a bit of a Florida panhandle Gulf coast kind of Southern accent. Candy has a really funny, very minor detail about how one of the things she took from the set when they left was the Nijinsky article. Apparently they would never changed the newspapers that were left on the conference table. So when the main cast would be sitting around the conference table pretending to read the newspapers, it was always the same newspaper that just kept getting yellower and yellower. And uh, they kept reading the same article over and over about Nijinsky. Now, I don't know who Nijinsky is. Based on a very quick Googling, it sounds like it was the name of Vaslav Nijinsky, a Russian dancer. That's my best guess. There was a movie made about him in 1980. Mm -hmm. But anyway, she took that newspaper and had it framed. One thing they've done in these commentary tracks is they actually call it out when there is an actual audience applause break, um, because it's true that that actually does happen less and less as the show goes on, but it seems to happen about once an episode in the ones we're watching. <laughs> Instead of just sort of petering out like a lot of these commentary tracks do, this one actually ends pretty well. I mean, literally some of the other ones... People are saying like, oh, do we have to stop? There's the credits. And then it just, that's the last thing that's said. But this one, Stephen Root gives a great little synopsis of the arc of Dave's character. Again, which I'm just going to drop in here. I like the fact that, that your character, Dave, was so young and innocent. By the end of the show, you were, you just hated everybody. Your character was so funny because you just, you were disgusted oh, by all of us. <laughs> You were this nice mm. young boy at the beginning, and then you yeah. just, we just killed you. Hates we killed it. you. We killed you throughout the series. Well, again, I was playing the part of Paul Sims. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever was happening to Paul happened to Dave. <laughs> That's right. And that is season one, episode five. Okay, on a scale from one to five steam-driven laptops, I'm going to give this commentary a four point three. This is probably one of the best that I've watched so far. If you're going to watch a commentary track, um, not only is this a good news radio episode, but it's just really enjoyable to hear uh, the three actors talk about it. All right, I've got one more left in the first season. It is late, at least for me, and I'm getting tired and feeling a little silly, which feels totally appropriate for news radio because legend has it that's what the writers tended to do is they would stay up really late, get kind of the tired sillies and use that for the, as the basis for the writing of the show. So, whew, all right, I can do this. It'll be fine. Uh, I'm going to go watch one more. This one is uh, Luncheon at the Waldorf. I think our podcast episode on that one was the longest podcast episode to date. So, all right, here we go. One more. I will be back. All right, dear listener, last one. I have just finished watching Season 1, Episode 6, the commentary for Luncheon at the Waldorf. This had Paul Sims, Joe Fury, Vicki Lewis, and Brad Isaacs. Apparently, this is the last DVD commentary that they recorded, and you can kind of tell, uh, especially with Paul Sims, it's... It's pretty clear that they have run out of things to talk about. Um, but it's nice having Vicky on. We haven't had a commentary with her on yet. She points out that they refer to this as the blue dress episode because, uh, well, that blue dress is very, very distinctive. And in fact, uh, Paul jokes that that was the, probably the first time we saw your character wearing anything attractive. Vicky has a really nice line about how she is thinking about Phil while she's watching this show. Uh, she has a nice little story about looking at him in the scene where they're standing by the elevators and feeling like, wow, there's Phil Hartman. I've really made it. And the writers have their own versions of that as well. So when I first watched News Radio, I was watching it in syndication on Fox. I think they had two episodes in the evenings, like late, like, you know, 9, 10. 
And uh, Paul Sims points out that those syndicated episodes usually had one or two minutes cut out for syndication. So when I watch it on the DVD, I'm seeing the full episode and I'm not seeing the one with those minutes cut out. And I am having trouble uh, figuring out what the one or two minutes they would have cut were. Um, Later on, there are some jokes that I can tell were not in the original news radio syndicated episodes that I watched, but here I just... I don't see that at all. And man, what a hard choice to have to make to cut out one or two minutes for syndication. If you're thinking about listening to this commentary, it's worth it for uh, Paul pointing out one of his favorite lines from news radio. Actually, I think Brad then does as well. <laughs> I kind of love Vicki Lewis. I think, just think she's kind of great. She seems like she's uh, kind of a complicated person, but sort of owns up to her own complicatedness she has this line about how she'll go to ebay and put her own name in just to see what comes up and apparently she says that blue dress sold for 17 dollars. <laughs> and one of the writers makes a joke about how he bought it he was willing to go up to 18 but um yeah there's also a funny little anecdote about how in each of these they have been talking about uh, what did people take as souvenirs apparently Andy Dick's desk was full of weird crap that was, quote-unquote, for his character. So, like, you know, unicorns and troll dolls and things like that. And Vicki Lewis took some of those as souvenirs. They were also talking about uh, whether they watched these when they came on the air. And Vicki had kind of a funny story about how she would get in a fight with her boyfriend, Nick Nolte, when this show came on the air. Uh, they would watch it together, and she thought that either he wasn't laughing enough, or he was moving around while it was on, or he wasn't paying enough attention. But she says, uh, you know, she couldn't really enjoy watching it then, but she does enjoy watching it during this commentary. Yeah, so there's a lot of discussion about what's happening in this episode. It's kind of the polar opposite of the one about the crisis Uh, where they basically do not talk at all about the specific episode. This is very centered on what is happening in the plot. There's a lot of buildup to the Bill and Lisa conversation. They really call out that uh, line or two of Bill's as (laughs) being very funny and very awkward. They point out that like he's amazing at delivering such a cringy line so straight-facedly and... um, He's able to make something that would be so gross coming from another actor actually just really funny, but also a little gross. And they do point out that Lisa's really good at um, the awkwardness, kind of the, they call it the squirminess, that that some of her funniest moments is when she's kind of squirming from being uncomfortable. They do call out someone named Jennifer Leal. Paul Sims, I think, refers to her by name as one of the creators of the early news radio communities on the internet. I can't find anything with a very, very superficial Google search, so um, if anybody knows anything about Jennifer Leal, I don't know if she's still involved in uh, the news radio community. I have not seen her turn up on news radio Twitter, but that doesn't mean anything. Uh, Let me know. I'm just curious. Right, so there are lots of jokes about that blue dress in particular. And like I said, you can just tell that everyone's kind of worn out at the end. Somebody actually jokes like, oh, what's everyone doing after this? Somebody did point out that it's a little surprising that the episode didn't end with the elevator door closing between Beth and Dave. And once they said that, it made a lot of sense to me. Like, yeah, I kind of did expect that to be the end of the episode. But they had to get back to the budget B story. And that's pretty much it. On a scale from one to five stolen souvenirs, I am going to give this one a 3.3. Pretty good. Kind of nice to hear, Vicky. Um, not a lot of insight, but definitely not the worst commentary uh, in this season. And that is all the commentaries. I have been doing this for about four hours now <laughs> between watching the episodes uh, doing this podcast recording. Whew, I'm tired. I'm going to go to bed. Did you enjoy this? Was this fun? I feel like this was fun. I'm glad I did the commentaries. I'm glad I took notes. I really did not feel good about putting out podcast episodes where I knew there was this easily accessible wealth of information about the episodes. And here it is. It's definitely late. (laughs) We wrapped up season one quite a while ago, but here it is. Should I do season two? I'm thinking about doing season two tomorrow, 
well, I mean, obviously not all of season two. I was going to do the first half, but even then, that is 11 or 12 episodes. I'm losing my mind doing seven. Am I going to do 12 in a row? I don't know, man. I don't want to do one at a time because individually there's not enough to talk about, but I don't know if I can do 12. So I hope this was useful. I hope you enjoyed it. If this, you know, convinces you to buy the news radio DVDs that have the commentary on them so you can hear them for yourself, that's great. Uh, I'm sure that the writers and creators would be thrilled to get the, I don't know, <laughs> what the what the royalty on that is, 30 cents <laughs> for your purchase. Um, yeah, it's, it's worth it. It's definitely uh, a useful part of your collection if you're a news radio fan. All right, I'm going to call it here. I'm going to say bye to all of you. As always, thank you for listening. I hope you'd enjoyed this. I miss Kayleen. (laughs) It's more fun doing this with her. Uh, I hope you enjoyed spending time with the less charismatic (laughs) of the two podcast hosts. And I hope that my knowledge ability made up for that. That's usually what I'm banking on. That's what I'm coasting on. I'm not charismatic or I'm not nearly as likable or as attractive but I'm moderately funny, and I do sometimes know stuff. (laughs) All right, it is late for me. Uh, I'm going to go to bed. So from all of us here at WKJP News Radio, this is Jordan signing off. The theme music for WKJP News Radio is the song You Say But You Don't Know by the band Troubles Afoot. You can check them out on Spotify, Bandcamp, Apple Music, or wherever you find new music. Special thanks to Uncle Keith for our use of equipment and technical support. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions, you can reach out to us at WKJPPod on Twitter or Instagram. You can also email us at wkjppod at gmail.com. If you like our show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts to help us find other listeners like you. Thanks so much for listening.